Hey, how are you doing? And wanted to welcome everybody to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Now, today's guest is an amazing alchemist, uh, relationship alchemist, and I can't wait to hear from Marie Elizabeth Molly and want to hear about all her amazing things. She's a photographer. She's an author. Oh, my God. We're going to hear so much. We're just going to cram it all in, and we're going to hear about putting love on fire. So, how you doing, I'm doing so great. Thank you. I love that. Putting love on fire. Yes. I'm a yes to that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's, to me, is that Phoenix rise? You know, I do a lot of talk about the Phoenix, about rising, and we need to find that, that's, that magic spark within ourselves. So how, so let me, let's hear a little bit about yourself is how long have you been in coaching? I know you, you do a lot of practice. You have a lot of tools in your toolbox. That's true. Yes. Uh, so, well, I first trained as a coach in 2003, 2004, which was at the tail end of my work as first a massage therapist and then a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. So I practiced acupuncture and herbology. And then I got kind of burned out on the medical model. So I switched to coaching in 2003. And then I realized that the call to be a writer, the call to focus on writing was actually getting louder than my desire to keep working with people. <laughs> so I think my introvert needed a break. Uh, so I actually closed my practice and went back to school and got an MFA in poetry and spent 10 years really immersed in the study and practice of writing poetry, which I loved. And then at the end, you know, as that 10-year cycle was beginning to come to an end, several years before it ended, really, uh, my marriage was also ending, which catalyzed this desire in me to figure out what is it that makes me tick in relationships? Why are they hard? What makes them work over time? Why am I having trouble sustaining, you know, a wonderful relationship over time? We were really good friends, but I just couldn't access the depth of connection I really wanted there. And so we ended our our marriage amicably and have both gone on to be with fantastic partners for each of us. And at that time I dove into this study of relationships and relating and sexuality and, and what makes us tick and what makes love grow and, and all these things and did a bunch of personal healing. And that as part of that, I entered a coaching program specifically around relationships and that reawakened my love of working with people. I remembered how much I loved serving people in this way and, and the depth of insight and, uh, you know, questioning and support that I could provide. Uh, and so I ended up pivoting again and uh, shifting to be primarily coaching, although I do still write and I do still shoot photographs underwater. Um, but since 2015, I've been primarily uh, coaching people around their relationships, both with themselves and with others. Yeah, I, well, I guess all do all relationships in your perspective, uh, they start from within ourselves. Well, that's a, that's such a fascinating way to ask that question. I love that. Um, do they start from within ourselves? You know, there's something in me that's saying yes, but there's something also saying no. Because so much of what we're attracted to and what we think we want, we have absorbed from outside of ourselves. We've learned it from our families, from the culture, religion, uh, 
our educational system, we've been taught so much about what we should want and what we should prioritize and who we should be that I think for most people, even though they think they're attracting a relationship from inside themselves, unless they know a bit about where they are in terms of all those beliefs that they absorb from everybody else, the jury's out. It's hard to say if you actually attracted that relationship from the soul of who you actually are, or whether you attracted that relationship from your conditioning, from all the personality and the layers that stand between who you really are and the world. Yeah, that's what I talk about, my love filter, is when we see things through a love filter, it's a lot easier to really then readjust and figure things out and work with a partner, at least how I'm seeing it, how I'm defining it. Absolutely. I love your idea of the love filter, really putting that filter over all our communication and question and where we're moving from. It's not the filter a lot of us have as a rule. (laughs) Yeah. You know, lately I've been talking to some people and I go, there's a real difference because we use words way too quickly. You know, like even love, right? Oh, I love that. I love pizza. Well, I hope you don't love pizza and and you can like it a lot. (laughs) That's that's a different show, I guess, but not, not for me, but the, uh, but so I said, if if you love and have an expectation of something else in return, then there's a trade-off and, and then it's not like it's a really strong, like I go, but if you can give somebody something without any expectations, then guess what? That's love. That's, you know, really you know, at least my definition, uh, I, I, where I, and the reason why I came to that idea is a couple of years ago when I was going through a challenge, somebody asked me, do I love myself? And mm-hmm. I had to think about it. And if you generally, mm-hmm. if you have to think about it, the answer is no. And, right. I, I, you, you know, I, and I, I then realized I liked myself a, a lot. I thought I was a good person in a lot of ways, but I didn't love myself. And I've found mm-hmm. that love now because uh, going back to my most authentic self, and that's why I was asking yeah. you, or at least suggesting that I felt that love came from within versus, because if you can't love yourself, you, you can't really be in a great relationship. That, I, I agree. I mean, it's, you can have a great relationship on the surface, mm-hmm. but to have the kind of relationship where it is true love in the way that you're describing, where it's not transactional, uh, because most things that pass for love today are transactional, right? I will love you if you don't go sleep with another person. (laughs) I will love you if you pick up your dirty socks. I will love you if is the general rule. And I'm not saying that somebody breaking the agreements of your relationship is okay. You know, I'm not saying don't correct a behavior that's not working for you. Don't make an adjustment to something that doesn't feel good. Don't break up with somebody if they go outside the bounds of your relationship, if that's what feels right to you. I'm not saying ignore all of that and be a doormat, but if there isn't enough room in your relationship for you to be yourself and for the other person to be themselves with you, then I'm not sure it's totally arrived at at love, love yet. Right. No, and I agree. And that's where that bring a bat piece, you know, the first time yes. when I talk about it, people go, Oh, it's violence. Yeah. I want to hit them. I want, I go, no, no, that's not the, vo-. you know, again, I, I use it as a play on my Brooklyn, New York speech, but 
it's not about violence. In fact, I'm, I'm telling right. you the opposite. I'm telling you, create your boundaries like you, you share. Create your non-negotiables. And, you know, a guest just reminded me uh, another day. He goes, I want to put it in my back. I want to create my backbone with the bat. And I go, okay, yes. those are all good. And everybody can have a different de- definition as long as when we talk about it, at least here, it's not about the violence. You know, it's, it, it's really about the growth and well, and wouldn't you say part of bringing a bat, that's an active demonstration of self-love because self-love involves holding boundaries. Self-love involves advocating for yourself when things don't feel right. Self-love involves staying when it's, you know, you want to leave, but you know, staying is the right move and being uncomfortable and self-love is leaving when you're clear that it's time to leave. So all of that, uh, to me, are very bat-worthy activities. <laughs> so how would you then maybe help out somebody who isn't sure? Is it time to leave or is it time to stay and have those hard conversations as long as it's in a respectful manner? Well, I think that's key is that there be willingness on both sides. So I tend to work primarily with individuals. I do also work with couples. I have I have couples at the moment that I'm working with. And what I notice in my work with individuals, because I am only wa- working with one partner, I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling the couple through their lens, right, through their filter. Uh, but the the key is when you start to make adjustments in how you are showing up, because it could be that the reason your relationship feels terrible is because there's some way that you're showing up that's actually blocking intimacy, right? So until you're clear that you are showing up in such a way that actually invites the other person in and invites them to be closer to you and invites connection and love to flourish, you don't know if the relationship is salvageable or not. So the first key is how am I showing up? And uh, am I inviting? Am I, am, do I have a wall up? Do I make it hard? Right. And then do that work first and then see. It's kind of like a science experiment. Well, if I try this, what happens over there? What's the result? If I try that, what happens? And if your partner starts responding to your opening, to your bids for deeper connection, to your invitations, if your partner is responsive to that, that to me says that it's salvageable. But if you start opening and inviting and seeking a deeper connection, and your partner doesn't respond at all to that or moves away, then it might be that it's done. It, it might still be salvageable, but that is a clearer indication that maybe that door has closed in such a way that it's not going to open again. Yeah, no, and there's a process, right? And it might be closed for today, uh, you know. Right. You know, that, that's the thing. Right, because we catastrophize, right? The thing we try doesn't work one time and we're like, oh my God, it's over. No, it might just not have worked that one time. They weren't in the right space to receive you there, you know? Yeah, it's all about space and the process. I mean, that's that process that I, I, I've trademarked and called Cluberty. It's not a one-step process. It's looking at the whole, trusting the process. I mean, the universe is a process. Yeah. If we think about our lives, everything we've done is a process. Go to school is a process. We, you know, when you're in kindergarten and you think about graduating high school, you're like, oh my God, that's so many years ago. And then, you know, when you go to college and then that process, and then you look at it uh, as an adult and being in a relationship 
and you know if, if you have a family, all those things are processes part of a life, and depending on the filters you've used, the love filters, or what you were taught, how, how you mm-hmm. perceive those filters to be. Now, Absolutely. What's one of your favorite filters? Uh, you know, because obviously, not only in photography, uh, you know, that, that was what, where I was going with it, but I was like, no, we, we all have lots of filters. And, and how do you set love on fire? Let's, let's, let's start that way. Let's, how do you set love on fire? Well, I'm going to answer the filter question because it's one of I, my favorite filter is curiosity. And I, because it also answers the second question. I think one of the ways you set love on fire is you get curious about each other. Because I don't know about you, but what happens I've seen and experienced personally in relationships over time is that the people we're with, they start to kind of blend into the furniture and they start to just become a fixture in the house. And we think we know what they're going to say before they say it. And maybe sometimes we're right, but that kind of numbing or deadening of the connection where we're not really seeing the people that we're with, we're just kind of uh, ambiently noticing them and going through life like these cogs in a wheel, putting the production of the family forward. That's that's when relationships really start to lose their life and lose the fire. So one of the best ways to, and one of the best filters really to approach your relationship with is curiosity. Who is this mysterious person underneath the facade? I think I know, uh, but you know, there's this vast mysterious human in there that I will never completely know. And the more connected to that as a truth I can stay, the more interested I will be in this person over time. And so curiosity, I think, is really one of the key ways that we keep relationships alive. We stay fresh. You you ask questions, assuming you don't know the answer and really being curious about the other person's interiority, not in a poking way that's a t- irritating, but a, but an open and curious way. So if you just approach life with this filter of curiosity, you, you have so much more opportunity to be surprised and delighted and have unexpected connections with people because you're interested. That's awesome. The, the curiosity filter. I, I, I love it because a lot of us, and you know, I've been guilty of it as well, in saying, I know it all. I have that disease of ICTA disease. You know, I know that already. And by yeah. doing that, it automatically shuts down the other person because you really don't know what a, another person's thinking or why, how they became to think about it. And that's one of the right. things that I try to do, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes less successfully, in seeing how, what their perspective and why that they came to that conclusion. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and looking at it, you know, again, and that's why I created my love filter by saying, wow, if I can see it differently, like nobody was nagging me to throw out the garbage. They just were like, oh, I respect a clean house. So maybe we can do that. I, that's an example I've always used. And people were yeah. like, oh, I never looked at it that way. I'm like, it's just how you do it, uh, you know. And that's one of the amazing things. And and I don't know if it's only for, so again, you had your master's in fine arts. Um, I don't know if it's only through writing. And in Chinese medicine, I have two. (laughs) Wow. Um, I don't know if it's only because a photographer, like you always look for those different angles or perspectives. Uh, Mm. Oh, I love tying that in. Thank you. Um, I think I've always been curious anyway. I grew up between three cultures. So I grew up in the United States, in New York, and uh, went to Venezuela 
where my father's side of the family is from, and Sweden, where my mother's side of the where my mother is from or was from. Both my parents have passed away, but uh, and so I grew up between these three cultures, speaking three languages, and so my whole life has been a kind of translation and a crossing of boundaries. Uh, and I don't mean in a boundary crossing way. What I mean is like a borders of countries way um, and cultures way. So it's made me very curious. So from a young age, I realized, oh, there's not one way to do things because in my own family, there are three very distinct and different ways to do things. And, uh, and so it's made me curious. So when I meet people, there's a kind of openness and a freshness that comes out of not being too solidly fixed in a singular culture myself. And then that has translated into what I love. One of the things I love about underwater photography is it's so unpredictable. You can go in the water and have the most amazing interaction and you can go in the water and see nothing like, like watch the schmutz flow by, you know, there's just nothing. I mean, you just don't know. And so that keeps me interested because it's so unpredictable. And then I'm shooting animals that I can't pose. I can't tell them, you know, turn your face like this and the angle like that. I have to adjust myself in relationship to the light, in relationship to where I think the animal will move next to try to catch the shot. And all of that just keeps all my senses very engaged. That underwater photography is really difficult, but it's also... It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's a great metaphor is you have to go with the flow and, you know, really have that opportunity to anticipate your partner in, in that sense, the the animal that's out there or, or wherever you are. Because I've done a bunch of, you know, nature, you know, where I, I haven't done underwater, but I, I've done, cool. you have to anticipate where the animal's going, what they're looking at, and you never know what you're going to get. That's exactly right. That's what's so fun about it for me. And and so how you translate, how I translate translate that into intimate relationships and relationships with really anyone in our lives is being present, basically, right? All all the activities I engage in, poetry is also a form of being present to life because you have to be receptive and notice things and see things and hear things and let them spark language for you and things like that. So there's a kind of receptivity and openness to life that focusing on relationships entails that poetry entails that that when i was a doctor of you know when i was a healer that that entailed and as a coach that kind of presence as well and then photography too all of it requires being present having a kind of listening that's attuned and and being responsive yeah wow that's exactly right i mean there's a dance there really is that magical dance. Uh, and so how did you, so you, obviously you've had different pivots throughout life. Currently you're, you're coaching, but you're also blending in your photography and your poetry with, with your practice. How's that been now that you're becoming, not that you are not whole before, but more whole or more, more authentic, I guess is, is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Thank you so much for seeing that trajectory because it really has been a deliberate endeavor for me because everything used to be very siloed you know so there was the the healer me you know the healer coach me there was the poet me and then there was the photographer me and and all each of them had their 
place, but they weren't very connected. And I've been spending years now feeling into how could I be me everywhere and have all of it be a part of a thing, you know, so that there isn't so much separation. So I don't feel so jerky uh, going from one to the next, but where it is more seamless. So now, you know, I'm, I'm preparing a talk where that's, that's about connection and relationship through the lens of ocean creatures in which I'll show my pictures and probably share a poem. Right. So it's the kind of thing where now they can all blend together and especially within poetry and photography, it's so much rich opportunity for metaphor. So when I'm writing and maybe I'm writing a relationship article, sometimes a metaphor or the story that will show up will be an experience from the water because I learn so much from being with these creatures. So it's it's been an endeavor. It didn't come naturally to me. Uh, I, I used to compartmentalize a lot, and it's been a real piece of work to to learn how to integrate and have everything flow together as a singular uh, being. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is. It's all about learning your flow and being comfortable in that flow. I mean, that's how I got the Uncle Dave. Other people had called me Uncle Dave, uh, you know, as a nickname, and I was just like, no, 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 no. And then when I really sat with myself. I'm like, that's who I am. And that's what I anticipate this to be is the safe space where we could say about anything we want, but it's a safe space. And, that, and I'm the person that you might not tell mom and dad all those stories to, but Uncle Dave, we'll, we'll figure it out because that's how I am for my biological niece and nephews and all those mm-hmm. who know me. That's really where I am. And I was always hiding from that. I was always like, no, no, no. I, I could be this Brooklyn guy. And I'm like, I'm not. I was the guy who got picked on. <laughs> I was the guy who got picked on. I was never the, the, the tough guy. I was always yeah. the guy who got picked on I mean, with my last name. It's a, a name that you would definitely look to. You know, if you're going to pick on somebody, that, that would be lead myself to, to pick, be picked on. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be who the guy who I needed at that time. And that was one of Yes. The- what a beautiful choice. Like, was that... Did you deliberately uh, once I, I was able to catch to, yourself? You said, "Oh, I'm going to be the guy yeah, that, that I needed back then." Because that's how I came up with the, the clubity. I was doing a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was the beginning of COVID. I, I hadn't come up with the create the word. I had been using the phoenix metaphor a lot. And what mm-hmm. I did was okay. What did I need? And I went back to some writing that I had done, probably at this point, 25 years ago, about a girlfriend who had got killed by a drunk driver, and mm-hmm. I started writing it. And I knew I was always sad. I always sport, sort of spoke to her. I'm an intuitive, and I would speak to her. Um, but I started crying, crying that I had never snotty, as snotty and wet as you think it was going to be. And I said, okay, there's something here. And then mm-hmm. I started doing some other deep dives. How did I get to the position that I was in and what I needed to heal? And that's where I started becoming. And I was like, there's a process here. Like, not only yeah. was I at seven, did this happen to me? And, you know, not in a boo-hoo-hoo way, but I was able to then transfer that process. And then mm. once you can figure the flow of your life and where, for me, at least I'm explaining it, is where you saw the areas where I wasn't myself. And the, right. pl- the places where I'm myself, I excelled in because that's who yeah. I was. I didn't care what people said. And, you know, in a respectful way and the places where I was pushing back or hiding, that's where it caused me the biggest troubles. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same in relationship, you know, where there are certain skills that need to be learned. 
Like we're not taught how to relate well. We're not taught how to communicate effectively. We're not taught, especially as women tend to be taught to be accommodating, not to want too much. You don't want to be high demanding. There's so much messaging that we receive not to advocate for what we want. And so for women in particular, there's a piece of learning that needs to happen there of how to be aware of what you want and and go and ask for it, you know, in a way that is a win-win where you're not, you know, where you're, the other person, what they want also is part of the equation. You know, it's not just about you. It's about what everybody wants, but it's not about subsuming all your desires in, in for everybody else. So, and for men, it's a different learning, right? So, but until we start to uncover some of those habitual patterns or habits that we encoded, it's it it's hard to be your authentic self. You don't even know what that looks like. And as you start to take off the additional layers, it can be kind of messy because you're trying stuff on like, well, does this feel like me? Is this me? I don't even know. Is this me? I don't know. But after a while of kind of experimentation, you can get good and comfortable with yourself in the way that you have with with Uncle Dave. Like you just inhabit that being, and that's who you emanate into the world. And then people respond to you in kind. You know, they respond to that. Well, it's the same in relationship. Once you land in who you are, first of all, you can be a whole lot more generous with your partner because you're not trying to you know corral yourself into some kind of persona that doesn't fit who then they are interacting with and it's not even you. So you don't trust them because they love this persona. And then you have the whole like, well, if they knew the real me, you know, thing that tends to go on. So, you know, if you, if you do the work to be able to connect with uncover and share your, your authentic self, both your most brilliant and wonderful aspects and also your most vulnerable and, and scary and maybe possibly repellent aspects you get to learn that you are lovable just as you are. And from there, a lot of magic is possible. Yeah, that's awesome. I And that's one of the things that I've realized for myself, that a lot of my actions were out of protection. I was, I was in that yes. testosterone mode of always trying to protect people from what I thought was, was the, was the weaknesses or, or, or the, the threats out there and, by my doing it, and again, the role modeling that I was taking, I was better than the role modeling, but that doesn't mean I was doing it correctly. And that's right. You know, we, we have to we do the best we can until we learn better and then we can do better. Amen. Yeah. So, speaking about learning better, I know you have Remember, a class. I'm going to be offering a class for single women who uh, really want it. It's called Relationship Ready. So, it's for women who are ready to put the past to bed lay it down, release the beliefs, the disappointments, the, the fears, the evidence uh, that you're still carrying from the past that's actually conditioning you in how you respond to the present. So the relationship ready is about putting that down and really creating the environment and the clarity and the permission to allow yourself to shine as you so that whoever you attract to be in relationship with you, you can be sure that they're actually in relationship with you. <laughs> and, and you get to have the experience of what it is to move through the world 
in acceptance of yourself with compassion for yourself and attracting people who also love you too. So that is a six week uh, program that starts in September and relation. Um, uh, if you contact me, uh, the registration is open for that uh, ongoing actually. And then in February of next year, I have a group, a six month group called relationship alchemy. That's specific for women who are in relationship relationships already, who want to take them deeper, who want to learn better communication. I have a five element system that I work with around relationships. And uh, so we'll go through each of those five elements and, and really address all the different areas of relationship that need to be integrated and in balance for your life to thrive, for your relationship and your life to thrive. And uh, I also do work with people, women, men, and couples privately. So if that's something that you want to have a conversation about, then let's talk about that. That's awesome. And I I love the the fact that you said, give yourself permission, because that's really a lot, again, where for me, it starts from inside, that, uh, you know, giving yourself permission to know that you might not have done as great a job before, you didn't know any better, but to also give yourself permission to learn. And where you said accept, I always say receive the message. Uh, I yes. say when we re- when we receive the message, uh, th- because there's a lesson in everything we do. If you think about it, and how we then take that lesson, you could be even in any negative situation. There's a lesson to learn of our reactions. Yes, and there's a quality in you that's being called to be developed. Right. So it's not about loving. You don't have to love the situation. You can acknowledge that the situation is terrible or challenging or painful and still within it, ask yourself, what am I meant to be learning here? What quality in me is being called forth? Do I need to develop more of? Am I being called to more strength? Am I being called to clarity? Am I being called to carry my bat right on my shoulder? Am I being called to be more loving? whatever the thing you're being called to is, you can bring that to the painful and difficult situation, even as you acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah, no, that, and, and that's when you're able to do that. So how do you ground yourself to prepare or how would you suggest to somebody to ground yourself? Because I'm going to leave this into, so let you think about it a little bit, uh, because earth and heart are the same letters. They're just arranged differently. Mm. And I always ask everybody for the, there are, but I don't talk. And, and somebody had given me a little feedback and said, you don't talk enough about the grounding. So I do want to start reaching out a little bit and saying, how do you ground yourself? Or what would you suggest to people who on different levels of grounding? I love this question because grounding has historically been very, very hard for me because I'm very, I'm a very open, uh, intuitive channel. And, you know, I tend to be up in my head and up in the ethers a lot And it's taken me real work to learn how to ground myself in my body, in the world, incarnation. Uh, So one of the simple ways that I use when I start to feel myself uh, be ungrounded is I picture red boots on my feet. So because the color red is grounding, it's the color of the root, and my feet are hopefully touching the ground. (laughs) And So red boots, I just kind of, I have a a switch that flips in my mind and I just kind of go up red boots and I picture red boots on my feet. My feet get a little bit warm and all of a sudden I'm back. 
another way that I practice grounding is staying connected to my own breath. So when I start to get anxious, because I also have a nervous system that trends toward anxiety. So when I get anxious, I tend to, again, come up into the upper half of my body. I also tend to find myself a little out in front of my body energetically. So I tend to, I tend to lean forward. I tend to just, I, I, I can feel how I get pulled forward. So I bring myself back to my body. Sometimes I'll place a hand on my chest and a hand on my belly and I just breathe. And I focus on feeling the sensations of breath because when you're tuned into the sensations in your body, then you can be grounded and it's when we lose touch with the, what's happening inside of us that we tend to lose our ground. That, that was an amazing explanation. I use the word amazing a lot, but I really do like that explanation and enjoy the the visuals as well as the practical what you do to do. So thank you so much. So do you have an R for, to, after explaining that the grounding, is there an R? Because that, it really is a, a phrase. I'm actually coming out with shirts that say there's an R in your heart with uh, the word respect, rise, and resilience uh, within the heart, you know, as three of the, the R's, not, not always only the, not the only three R's, but do you have an, an R word that you would love to talk about? Well, today that word is reveal. Uh, I was, I was reflecting before we got on the show today, you know, well, what R do I feel resonant? Actually, resonant is another one of my main R's. I use that one all the time. But it was like, what, what, what R do I feel resonant with today? And I love this word reveal because even, it, it, there's a notion, any word that has a re in front of it implies a repetition, right? It implies a return. It, it, it implies a coming back. And so reveal, it's like you're, you're offering something to someone else to see but you're also really inviting them into yourself. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, I love how that one word kind of has two directions of movement. There's the revelation, the thing being exposed and seen, but that's a, that's an interiority that is now also being allowed to be expressed. And so that's the word, that's my R for today, even though resonant is also one of my primaries. You've given us a bunch of R's, and those are all yeah. great. I, 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 and again, you're using that visual, and that's what I love because we can contact so many people through all of our senses, and that's how it all is built. I mean, if you think about all the traumas and the less good ideas, that also has been built into our system, and you know, but also how all of our memories. If you can think about a memory, uh, and I'll just use maybe in your house, and it might have been two set separate cooking smells in, in the house, you know, from the, the European as well as the South American. So I'm sure that those bring up, they might bring up good memories for you. And mm-hmm. all you do is have to smell that and you can go right back to being a little girl. Amen. Yeah. I love scents for that reason. They just bring you right back. Okay. I've taken up a, a lot of your time and I, I appreciate it. Is there any sort of seeds that we that we'd want to plant for the audience and for your future. So we'll, we'll definitely make sure that the link is on for your class and as, as well as your website. So people can see your lovely pictures. I mean, just incredible art. You have to look at it. And there's also amazing poems. So I definitely would say check out the website. But is there, are there any seeds that you'd like to share with us? Stay curious. 
<laughs> I'm going to go back to curiosity, you know, wherever possible, when you find yourself having an expectation of what you think someone's going to say, what you think their reaction is going to be, where you're kind of shutting the door a little bit because you think you know already, as you said so beautifully, I, I think I know. Uh, check in with yourself, you know, do it for yourself. Ask yourself, huh, is that necessarily true? Maybe they're going to react differently. Maybe if I leave the door open, there'll be a different response. I don't think we we recognize enough how much we have a part in the response that occurs in another person. It's kind of like in science, the way they've discovered that the observer affects, you know, the, the point of view of the observer affects the result of the experiment. This is why they haven't have to put so many blinds in between the experimenter and the experiment itself, because the experimenter will, will taint the experiment. Well, it's the same in relationship. The way you're thinking about your partner will taint the connection, will limit the number of responses that you'll get to the one you expect. So if you stay curious, it could be different. And then you're down a whole new road you haven't been down before together. That's amazing. And thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And everybody, just remember to live in a life of peace and love and keep curiosity is there as well. And if you need to bring a bat, make sure that bat is exactly in a safe spot. And I want to make sure that if you do swing that bat, make sure you find that sweet spot for you and have a great day. I am really glad that you're enjoying the show and I hope you follow us on all the podcast hosting sites as well as Facebook, Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Or you can follow me, Uncle Dave, David Chemetsky, at Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and www.davidchemetsky.com. I also would enjoy for you to contact me if you want to just have some feedback. You need somebody to talk to at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. Well, my friends, today's journey has come to a close. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember the peace and love surround you that will assist you to rise again. And don't forget to bring a bat for what you believe in. Namaste. Namaste.